picture this. The journey ahead starts here together, and together we can build a brighter future. You are listening to Illuminating Hope, a podcast of Hope House. Welcome to Illuminating Hope. I'm your host, Tina Johnson, Community Partnership Manager here at Hope House. And I am here with my co-host, Marianne Matheny, CEO of Hope House. And together, we want to give a warm welcome to Chris Katz from KNBC 9 News. From the South Central Riots in Los Angeles to Hurricane Andrew in Louisiana to national political conventions. When it comes to big stories, KNBC 9 News anchor reporter Chris Katz has always found himself at the right place at the right time. Chris is also the 2004 recipient of the prestigious Barbara Potts Award from Hope House for raising community awareness about domestic violence in Kansas City. Chris is married to Dana Wright, co-host of Dana and Parks weekday afternoons on 98.1 FM KMBZ. We're so excited to have Chris Ketz as our guest. It is absolutely my pleasure to be here. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, you guys you guys say jump, I say how high. Well, nice. <laughs> you try not to say jump too, too often either. So. Annie, Annie, absolutely, after all these years, my gosh. So let's talk about that. So you are celebrating your 40th anniversary yes. this year with KNBC. Yes. Tell me, what. how does that feel? Well, as I said at the gala, and my mother, I think, put has put it best, actually. Well, this just means that apparently he can keep a job. <laughs> that's, But that's my mother. But that's my mother. I still am in amazement and shock that it's been 40 years. And like I suppose like most people who are in this position, where did the time go? Right. It seems like just yesterday. I don't feel... I don't feel that old. I don't know how you're supposed to feel. Right. I don't know that I feel any different now than I did 40 years ago. And I suppose that's a good thing. I'm blessed, aside from the obvious. I have a job that I love. They seem to like what I do. But most importantly, it's still a hell of a lot of fun to go to work, even after all of this time. And so, uh, listen, nobody is is luckier on that score than I am. Nobody. That's awesome. So, Well, you work with some wonderful people who were very willing to do videos to share um, with our surprise that we did for you at our gala. So and they were and they were remarkably nice. <laughs> that, that, may have been the, that may have been the surprising thing of, of the whole evening. All of my colleagues were shockingly nice, and because they're they that's you know. But they truly love you, and yeah. that that really came through in all of those in all of those videos. They're, they're, you uh, are well loved. And, and again, I'm working. There are an awful lot of people who, without them. We could not do what we do, and uh, nobody is more aware of that than I am. And um, we're just we're just so fortunate on so many levels. I, I I can't even begin to describe. So I'm I'm curious, just along those lines, you followed in your father's footsteps, I did. and now your son yep. is following in your footsteps. Can you talk about that? My His uh, legacy. My father, whose heir name was Jim King. But his real name, his real last name was Katz. His career started in Omaha at the ABC station, Channel 7 KETV, which oddly enough is owned by Hearst, which that's, that's who owns us. He did sports there for a couple of years and then took a job with a brand new television station in Moline, Illinois, up in the Quad Cities, the ABC station WQAD. 
and signed on with that station in 1963 and had a long and wonderful career there until he passed away on the 2nd of January 1999. So fast forward to my oldest son who went to the uh, he's a proud graduate of the University of Missouri School of Journalism, which I, it's the world's finest school of journalism. If you um, if you don't believe him, just ask him; they'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you. Yeah, I'll yeah, tell you. Exactly. Communication. And so, um, and so, Jonathan's first job out of Mizzou, and he graduated early. He graduated in three and a half years, and we were so proud of him. And I remember, <clears throat> I remember the conversation with Jonathan after he graduated. He was working at KOMU which is the university-owned television station in, mm-hmm. in Columbia, and a wonderful training ground, my goodness. Um, for sure. To have that on campus and available for students is just, uh, it's, it's worth its weight in gold. And I remember telling Jonathan, listen, you, you, know, you have your apartment in Columbia until June. You can, you can kind of relax a little bit now that you don't have to worry about academics and look for a job, obviously, but, you know, you have plenty of time. And so within a couple of weeks, he got a couple of offers. And, and strangely enough, they were from the ABC station in Omaha, where his grandfather worked in the 50s and early 60s, and from WQAD, where his grandfather also worked, and his dad worked for a short time, and his mother worked for a short time. Wow, wow. And so Jonathan took the job in the Quad Cities, and I think was it was a, they were both great offers. I think this one was a little bit better, because I think it, it was a was a part of the world that he was obviously familiar with. Right. So right. I, I think that was a huge advantage. And so Jonathan's first job was at a television station where the street in front of the station and the studio are named after his grandfather. Oh, wow. oh that's amazing. So there was no pressure there whatsoever. <laughs> so nine years later, he's married with, with uh, now three children, and uh, he always wanted to come back to Kansas City because this was home. Mm-hmm. And he got that opportunity thanks to the good folks over at WDAF Fox 4. You know, if he wasn't going to work at, at our place, and it just the, the stars just never aligned right for that to happen, not sure. that he didn't pursue that. But if he wasn't going to work for us, I, I, I wanted him to work for those guys. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah. And so it, he loves it. He's reporting five days a week. And from my selfish perspective, just to have our grandchildren 20 minutes away as opposed to six hours away, right. I can't put a price on that. Right. It's huge. That is so huge. I know yeah. I'm a grandma myself, yeah. so that is so huge. Yeah. And just what a legacy. What a legacy your family has. I just think that's Now, that's my, really now my other two kids have nothing to do with TV and, and <laughs> I really could care less. And my brother, again, uh, he's in freight management. They could care less about television. But for whatever reason, I got the bug and obviously, I suppose, passed it along to Jonathan. So here we are. That's amazing. So I guess the other question, I know Tina's got some questions too, but the one thing I was hoping we could talk about, I think there's a lot of parallels between what you do and what we do mm-hmm. in terms of... I, I would respectfully disagree, but go ahead. Well, but looking at it from the perspective of the trauma perspective, I guess, mm-hmm. is what I'm looking at. So we have trauma every day because of the clients that yep. we work with and, and just dealing with domestic violence. But so do you. You report on trauma and violence and just things that are just not pretty on a daily basis. So how do you make sure that you take care of yourself or how do you process some of those stories that you've had to do that have been particularly difficult? Well, let me let me first, I think there are two answers from me on, on what you just asked, and that's a great question. I would respectfully disagree, if for no other reason, because it's you people who are dealing with it firsthand. 
face-to-face. You are the guys who have to figure out answers for people who are in the worst positions of their lives and are facing literally life or death decisions. It's you guys who are doing that, which is why I'm such a, a, an enormous, eternally, enormous, enormously grateful that A, you're here, and B, that you're doing what you're doing every day. You guys are saving lives every day, every single day, and I tell people that all the time. And so I, would, I wouldn't put us in the same basket with you guys because you're having to find answers on a, on a one-on-one, personal, face-to-face level. Yes, it's important to report these stories because public awareness is, is crucial. No, no question about that. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and so I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. Okay. <laughs> but, but it's you guys who are the ones who are having to find those answers. You know, maybe there are times when we can, we can help you a- along that road. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there have been times. I, I hope there have been times where we have been successful in that for you. Oh, absolutely. And, and for other, and absolutely. for other shelters, uh, not just, but throughout Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and to your, your second point about trauma and how to deal with it, I'll tell you something. I, the stories that you referred to for me as I've gotten older, uh, as I've accumulated more years in my career, they're harder for me to get over. Mm-hmm. And, and I know my 6 and 10 o'clock co-anchor, Laura Moritz, who's, who's only been at Channel 9 for, I think she's approaching 25 years. He's, I remember when she was an intern for us uh, <laughs> way back in the day. But I know Lara and I will watch these stories unfold during a 6 or a 10 o'clock newscast on Channel 9. And, and we both have the same reactions. Mm-hmm. And, and the reactions are what, what our viewers are. It's the same reaction. So as I say, I think as I've gotten older, I think it's become harder to deal with. And I know people in our business who face these same situations and, and aren't afraid to talk it out with, with, a, with a professional. I think that's a fabulous idea Mm -hmm. and something that probably journalists should have been more focused on years ago I think there is a there's a renewed awareness now within our industry of the kind of mental toll that the job takes on all of us and a lot of that changed I think post 9-11 but I think as an industry we are far more aware of that mental cost and are taking steps to to try to address it as Mm -hmm. I say I think this is something that we should have been doing decades ago. Yeah, I think as, you know, just the number of reporters that I've done interviews with and knowing that those reporters have also talked to family members or victims themselves, sure. so they're getting that firsthand as well. And I don't know that we we talk about it with within our program and making sure that we can make sure our staff are getting what they need. We've got a self-care room at both of our locations where you have a difficult therapy session or you have a difficult hotline call. Take a break. Yeah. Come, you know, just yeah. go and and decompress and just, you know, work let that stuff kind of yeah. you know, work its way out of you. Otherwise, we're all just a bunch of walking around, sure. you know, in crisis, but I think about just the number of stories that you have had to have had over the last 40 years. Uh, I, you know, I, I remember, a, you'll appreciate this, and, and this goes back to um, the public awareness part of uh, one of my answers. Barbara Potts, the former mayor of Independence, who, without her honor, I don't know that... We wouldn't be here. Yeah, you wouldn't be here. Indeed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and oh my God, the stories that she could tell about those, those days in the beginning. But 
much earlier in my career at Channel 9, I remember getting a, I remember getting a phone call from Barbara. And this goes to even how we, on our side, deal with stories like this. And it, it would be not uncommon years ago for, for a husband and wife to have an argument and it suddenly becomes physical and now suddenly law enforcement is involved and the court process is involved. But we would typically get from any police department around here sort of a, a, a synopsis of what they feel as if had happened, the facts in the case. And usually there was a phrase, domestic altercation, I believe it is what it was. And, and I remember one day, I'm, I'm sure the mayor was watching one of our newscasts, saw us saying that, and I remember, I'll never forget this conversation, Barbara called, and uh, she said, Chris, it's not a domestic altercation, that's domestic violence. And that's what it ought to be called. And, I'm, and, and there was a light that went off in my mm-hmm. head at that moment. And I, you know what? You're right. Mm-hmm. And so ever since then, and it's been, gosh, I don't know. That conversation was probably 35 years ago. <laughs> I've uh, always called it what it was. You know, and that's something that we continue <clears throat> to try to educate the media about. Because when I get a call that says, oh, there was a domestic disturbance. Or domestic, that's another phrase that I just, right? I just cringe. Right, yes. and they're talking about a murder. Yeah. I'm like, no, 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 yeah. this this, this isn't a disturbance. Yeah. This is not a disturbance. Somebody died. Yeah. Somebody was murdered. Let's call it what it is. Yeah. So that it that is really important to use the words to describe what it actually is and what's happening. I, uh, If I could just for a moment talk about, about Mary Potts. You know, she was such... Uh, an incredible advocate for what it is that you were doing. She was so far ahead of her time. She was. Yeah. She was. In, in, I mean, can you imagine, and, and only Barbara Potts, probably Lyle Weeks knows this too, but the people who were there in the beginning of Hope House and the sort of, I can only imagine, this is early 80s, mm-hmm. the, the political blowback that Barbara Potts must have gotten. I can only imagine you want to do what? Yeah. You want to hear? Oh no, we don't have that kind of a problem here. You got what? Why? But you know, Barbara Potts's North Star is is as right. true as anybody's, right. and um, she knew somebody who recognized a problem and said, "Damn it, we need to fix this. We need to do something. We right. need to come up with an answer." And, and she made it happen. And she made it happen. Yeah. And that may be the most incredible thing of all, recognizing the problem back then, especially for someone in a high political position as the mayor. That's one thing. But to actually get it across the finish line, it's amazing. One of the things that she, I, and I, I love Barbara, and she's still very involved. Yep. You know, just saw yep. her at a gathering that we had a she's the best. couple months she ago. She is the she's best. She's yeah. still advocating. But I remember... And, that's, and that, if I may, no. this organization presents an award... Uh, mm-hmm. the Barbara Potts Award, and, and I am a proud recipient of that from a long time ago, and even on my bio. I, and, and I've been blessed. I've, I've had a lot of awards in my, in my career, and I love all of them, but the Barbara Potts Award is one that is on my bio on our website because awesome. I, I, awesome. I take great pride in that. I want to anyway, say that was 2005. Something like that. It was a long like time that. ago. Yeah. 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 But anyway, go ahead. I'm well, sorry. there's two things with that is I really enjoyed us, you and I being able to present Barbara with the Lifetime Achievement Award yeah. that we were able to give that was her. Cool. That was a great that night. Was a that was a cool night. That was yeah. a wonderful evening. Yeah. And I remember saying to Barbara that night, again, we were going back to, you know, people recognizing a problem and, and proposing answers. Right. And 
I, I remember saying to Barb, what the hell were you thinking about <laughs> <laughs> that night, remember? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> because that was just an illustration of the kind of, of political pushback that yeah. she was getting. Well, and one of the things, you know, because it definitely wasn't talked about. It was no. a family problem, what happened behind closed doors. Sweep it but under the rug. The, the feedback that she got, one of them was she said, people would come to her and say, are you a feminist? <laughs> and, oh, my word. It was such disgust and such, like... Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And she yeah. would be like, yeah. "Why, yes, I am." <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> so, absolutely, absolutely love Barbara, and you're absolutely right. We wouldn't be here without her vision, and without her her drive, and being able to bring a group of people together. And yeah. she's so humble. And she would say, "You know, when the mayor." Asked you to do something, people respond. She said, I didn't realize that would happen. <laughs> you know, she's so humble and she's just so, um, she's just the most giving, yep, giving I person. So we are very blessed yeah. to have her. So, Tina, I know you had some questions. Yeah, I do. So, did you get involved with Hope House through Barbara's phone call then? No, it was earlier and it was just through, just through the normal course of reporting stories. It's I, I can't help but think back to those early days, you know, when Hope House was in, found a house that was donated uh, yeah. a little bit west of the square. I think it was on Truman Road, on if Truman I'm Road. not yeah. mistaken. It was. And, and going inside and talking to clients and seeing face-to-face for a young reporter who was very young on so many levels, but seeing the problem and seeing the work that Hope House was doing at the time. Um, I thought this was, this is pretty compelling stuff, mm-hmm. clearly. And I just, I found myself, I don't know how, but but I continued to find myself reporting on these stories as, as the years went on. And um, and then in my in my free time, been on, I know I've been on your board, I've been on yeah. part of capital campaigns, I've I hope I've been an unofficial advisor <laughs> from time. Well, you know, I call uh, you and ask you. <laughs> from time to <laughs> what time. What you do here? And um, but I just, I just think the work that you guys do and, and all of the shelters do in, in Kansas City, my goodness, is um, gosh. Uh, and I say it at, at I, I have said it at more than one gala. You know, imagine for a moment that you have that you have a loved one in your family who is facing this kind of situation who's in this kind of crisis, and where would these people go if not for a place like Hope House? Think about that for a minute. I mean, that's, what a horrible thought. And you never know who you will encounter or who's experienced things that you never even realized. After the gala, I I can't tell you the number of people that came up to me um, after the program and said they had received Hope House services or they were a survivor. Just amazing number of people that that came and, up to me and the the services the level of help that a that an institution like Hope House is able to provide clients mm-hmm. certainly what you guys do what past president CEO Sue Ells did mm-hmm. what 35 40 years ago the kinds of things that you are able to offer clients today is just amazing I think I would just answer this before I turn it back over to you, but I think we have always tried to listen to the clients, and then our services are then in response to the needs that they have presented. Yeah. We meet them where they're at, mm-hmm. no matter where they're at. Yeah, I, just, right. I just think that's right. incredible. Yeah. It yeah. could be in the middle of addiction. It could be in yep. the middle of different coping mechanisms, but we meet them definitely where they're at. 
So in the media, what are some positive and negative ways you've witnessed domestic violence through your 40 years? Well, thankfully, it's not, it's not something that I've witnessed on a personal level, thank God. But we've all seen, we've all seen stories and instances of, of it happening uh, before us. Being a reporter, obviously, I, I think I probably see a lot more of it than your average person does. Yeah. And um, and as I say, as I as I get older, these these stories these stories are harder to take for me. They're much harder to take. I take I take some solace in the fact that that there are institutions, especially here in Kansas City, who are who are ready, willing, and able to help. And um, thank God they're there. Yeah, we're evolving with new resources and programs every year. It seems like to and meet a lot of need. And it's a fight for you guys, because listen, the the um, the demand for not just but private money, but certainly public money. Yes, is there are no guarantees of funding out there for you right. guys. You're, you're always yeah. having to to fight those battles. It's hard enough meeting the needs of a client in crisis, whether it's DV or addiction or, or a myriad of, of issues that they come to you with. Trying to help those people out of the situations they're in is long and complicated and, and certainly hard. But in order to be able to do what you guys do, there has to be a dedicated and consistent source of funding. And, and, and again, you're, um, the competition for those dollars, both public and private, I'm not sure it's ever been greater. I, I don't know that it has. Um, I think that we continue to have to be creative in how we look at our services, how we present them, and where we go to get funding for them. Yeah. Um, we do have some dedicated sources that you know we continue to receive, but it's not... It isn't a guarantee that we will continue right. to receive them. I think, you know, going along with that, one of the things that's truly helpful to us um, in trying to bring awareness not only to domestic violence, but to Hope House in order to continue to receive those dollars is that awareness that you help, um, you particularly as, a, as an individual anchor reporter, but also just the media in general, that if we weren't able to to share our news or share our information, then people don't know we're here. They don't know, um, especially if you've never had it in your family or you've never been exposed to it, you may not know what all we're able to do. So when those incidents happen and you come and say, we'd like to bring, you know, I'd like to do an interview so we could bring attention to this, that helps in ways that are just beyond even measuring because we don't know who we've just impacted. We don't know who we've just exposed to our services that didn't know we were there. And, and when those kinds of stories happen, and, and unfortunately and tragically they do and, can, and continue to happen, it's one, thing, it's one thing to report the event, okay? It's one thing to report what had happened. But I think now more than ever, I think, I think our viewers are wanting more and mm-hmm. are wanting to know, okay, what happens next? What are the sorts of challenges, legal, emotional, otherwise? What's ahead for these people who are in such a terrible situation? I think domestic violence, unfortunately, is one of those things where it's hard not to know someone who hasn't been affected by DV in one way or another, whether, whether personally, in their family, friends, whatever. It's Unfortunately, there, there's just so much of it out there that it's, it's hard to... Um, it's hard to find somebody who, who hasn't been affected. Right. But so I think there is part of this story I think really resonates with the broader audience because they're they, they have a maybe somewhat limited, but they have a familiarity 
uh, with it. But then it's incumbent upon us to, again, show what kind of resources are out there to help these people as, as they move forward. And, and then, I mean, if, you, if people are wondering, well, how did, how did Chris, you know, get associated with Hope House? Well, that's why, seeing what it was that, that you guys do. And I think it's important information for the public to know that these kinds of resources out there, that these kinds of services are being offered, that for anyone who is in a situation that they're trying to get out of, that there are places and, and people to turn to for help. Mm-hmm. Hence why we do those stories. Which is very, very helpful. And there, hopefully a little bit of the education piece, too, right. because I think that um, what I've learned over the years is that understanding of domestic violence is not a given. People, no. in general, um, don't understand how it happens, why it happens. It continues to need to be addressed and brought so people understand it. It's complex. Exactly. It's a very complex situation, and it, it really needs to be explained. And, and I'm not sure, and you guys would have a far better handle on the answer to this question, I'm not sure it's getting any better. I'm not sure the, the, the numbers of cases, of these cases... I'm not sure that they're going down. I don't. I don't get a sense that they are. Now, I do think. I, I do get a sense that there is. Uh, there, there's so much more help available now than there was certainly 40 years ago. My goodness, um, and the sorts of services that you guys are offering, and all of the shelters are offering right now, is, is far greater than it used to be. And and again, thank God for that. It, but the bottom line is, it's 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 still out there, and and people are still doing this, and okay. and it's it's still happening. Yeah. It, go ahead. Well, that's why we do a lot of prevention work, which is my piece. You know, I'll go out and speak to the Girls on Fire group that the yes. Blue Springs Police mm-hmm. Department um, puts on. And there was close to 300 girls that we spoke prevention to and empowered them, just letting yep. them know they are the generation of prevention. And, and this is stuff that you never would have thought about doing 40 years right. ago. No. But now, but now, it's more important than ever. Absolutely. You've now helped the next generation to know I don't have to put up with this. Absolutely. And, and, and there's and there are places to turn to for help that will be there. Right. That's huge. And what a healthy relationship looks like. Wow. You know. And it's you know it's always a little frustrating for me is as often as we do stories like this, there are still so many people out there who find themselves in this situation and and aren't sure what to do or and where don't to turn and, and, don't, and they just they don't know. Right. I think there's a misconception too that um, in order to get help, that means you have to like come into shelter or leave. Right. And that it couldn't be further from the truth. Right. You don't have to come into shelter. We have so many services for people who have never been in our right. our shelter program. So I do think that, that that's important that people understand that. And I think, you know, I've said this so many times, but we will continue to have domestic violence in our society as long as we say it's okay. And put up with it. If, yeah. if we're right. not, as we as a society are not going to put our foot down and say this is unacceptable, yeah. it's going to continue to yeah. happen. Is it? Is it? I have to. Add, I'm because I'm in the business of asking questions. Forgive me. No, I, I, I love I, it. I know I'm supposed to be the one answering. <laughs> That's but, okay. That's but, okay. But isn't? Do you find it amazing that domestic violence shelters, and not just yours, but domestic violence shelters, are now having to be in a position to answer so many other issues aside from DV. Yes. It's so, it's so complex. That's where so many things that are happening to people become roadblocks to being able to escape the violence. 
And so we spend a lot of time with clients working through those roadblocks to really be able to get them on a road free of, of violence. And part of it doesn't happen in a vacuum. You don't right. just like, okay, we'll fix this and then everything's good. Or leave the abusive situation and it's all free. No. That's when no. it gets worse. That's when it gets worse. That's yeah. when the stalking goes up and the, right. and the level of violence mm-hmm. increases dramatically at that time of of leaving. So it isn't just like, oh, why doesn't she leave? Well, she does. She leaves all the time. He leaves all the time. And it, it doesn't stop because of that. And what's next for you guys? Look into your crystal ball 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road. Are there particular services that you wish you could be offering now that you hope to be offering in the future? How does your work change years from now? Well, I think the two things that we're focusing on right now, I would like to see us continue to grow. And one would be that what are the next steps after they've left, um, whether they are in shelter or maybe they can bypass shelter altogether because we have resources available around housing and around um, the ability to improve their economic situation. So post-COVID, we are um, maintaining our new approach of offering a triage. Basically, we can do um, hotel or the shelter, or we can really often help people get through some of those obstacles so they never have to come into shelter, but they can just need that extra help in getting that housing or maintaining their current housing. So I would like to see that increase. And then Tina's program, um, Tina has just started and is just getting this prevention underway. And I want our Speakers Bureau uh, to grow and our ability to connect with the community and hopefully be able to reach thousands of kids and and adults because it's not the kids are key to the future that is for sure but those kids are not operating alone either they're operating within family they're living within family so it's the adults as well And, and i would think that this is a message that is probably on some level easier to share than it might have been 40 years ago Oh, indeed. I believe it is a lot easier to share. And, you know, one thing if I was looking in the crystal ball on my part of the communication piece, it would be to take back that narrative, take back the what is domestic violence and and be the authority on it so that right. we're not talking about myths and, and what people believe um, that aren't true, you know, so we can erase some of those so we can get down to business in rescuing survivors. And it's a battle for for. Well, it's a battle for you guys and for, for us when it comes to controlling the narrative. Right. Mm-hmm. And and there's so much misinformation out there. Indeed. And trying to, if you're like us, it's almost a never-ending battle to try to, to, try to make all of that right. And, mm-hmm. and we can't get to all of it. And I wonder if you find yourselves looking at it in the same way. Well, all of the ways that you can communicate now that 40 years ago we weren't communicating through social media, through podcasts, through the Internet, through all of that. You have to stay on top of all of that. And And it's harder than ever. It is. Harder than ever. And the other piece. It's congested. The other piece is that those are also, those are great ways to reach people, but those are all also ways to abuse people. And so we continue to have to adjust and, and change in that regard, too, because all of these things are open to abusers to taking advantage exactly. as well. But um, so, how do you change? You know, when you're talking about internet access and and blogs and and people on Twitter and I mean, you just, it's so much that it is hard to to really 
know whether or not we're making a difference in how we're reaching people and correcting mm -hmm. correcting the narrative. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so I have a question for you. Sure. If you were not in the public spotlight, what do you think you'd want to be famous for? Well, uh, and it can't be golf because Dana <laughs> Dana of, has got you on the golf spectrum. That, my wife has three holes in one. Mm. I was lucky enough to get my first on Easter Sunday. You're still too shy, though. And she reminds me of that. Uh, fairly regular <laughs> but congratulations basis. on your, thank on you, your thank you. That's awesome. Thank goodness I had a good shot. Um, but honestly, this is all I've ever wanted to do. Having grown up in the business and having watched and admired my dad for so long, this is all I've ever wanted to do. I, have I thought about, well, would there be a plan B? Yeah, but I don't know that there's a plan B that would fulfill me as much as what I'm doing now. And so, and again, I go back to what I said at the beginning of the podcast. I, it's still a hell of a lot of fun to go to work, even at my advanced age. Uh, <laughs> it's still... It's still a hell of a lot of fun to go to work, and, and I, um, as I said before, I mean, nobody's luckier than I am. But I can't imagine not having the news on and having you right well, there. Oh, I can't. I we can't appreciate, listen, listen, in, in this diluted media environment that we're yeah. all existing in, um, we appreciate that more than you know. Well, you, may, you have made a tremendous impact on this community, and if you didn't already know that, I hope you can, well, I, you I, can know that because everyone loves you. Well, I, well. I don't know about that. Wow. But <laughs> maybe uh, hopefully everybody here. Yeah, for sure. That's it. That's a given. But <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. For sure. Well, if there's anything we'd want to leave you with is thank you so much for being a loud voice in the fight against domestic violence. Well, it does just, make our job easier. I'd want to turn that right back around to you guys and, and thank you for what you do because you guys are where the rubber meets the road. It's been a wonderful partnership. And I know one that started before me, um, you've been, you've, I've only been here 31 years. I know, so. yeah. <laughs> I know you're a relative kid around here. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally get it. Thank yeah, you. My pleasure.